three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shalman. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, September 19th. Um, I have a great show today. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I'll be honest, I've had a brutal, tough day. Like, not a good day at all. A bunch of school crap I don't want to deal with. Just a lot of life stuff. But I will say this. I love, I love, I love, I love recording Wednesday versions of this podcast because I have three segments I do that I love. I do Zach is a Genius, where I make fun of myself. I do Deadly Dozen, which is the 12 NFL teams that are going to make the playoffs. And I always talk about college quarterbacks on Wednesdays during the football season. I'm so excited. Can't wait. I want to start with this. It's going to surprise people. Um, I, I made a dumb, stupid decision yesterday. <laughs> it's it's funny now. It's not funny looking back. I don't know. It, it's an embarrassing thing that happened to me. Um, I got into a fight last night. I got into a fight last night. Um, you know, I was playing flag football. I got thrown to the ground. And it wasn't just thrown to the ground. I'm running down the field through a deep pass. I got decked out of nowhere. And I got frustrated. I retaliated. I pushed the guy to the ground. um, And I got kicked out. For retaliating, I got kicked out of the game. My team lost their quarterback. We did not win the game. We got blown out because I wasn't there. And I have numerous takeaways from this experience. But one of them was this. You must be very careful when you make a decision. Because 9 out of 10 times... You do not want to let emotion guide your decision-making. Do not make emotional decisions. Most of the time, that's a bad idea. Unless you're getting married, something like that. And even then, you want to make a calculated decision. You don't want to make harsh emotional decisions out of your heart. So I got emotional last night. I made a bad choice. I threw a kid to the ground, and I made a bad situation even worse. Right now, the Cleveland Browns are 0 one and one. They have no wins, one loss, and a tie. And, and really, the truth is the Cleveland Browns should have two wins. Let's be very honest. If the Browns kicker wasn't Zane Gonzalez the last two games, the Browns would be 2-0. and They would have beat the Steelers. They would have beat the States. Now, Tyrod Taylor is currently the Browns' starting quarterback. He has not played incredible, but he's, he's played very solid. He's had a good year so far. Good, not great. He's got two touchdowns, two interceptions. Week one, he was subpar. He was 15 for 40 passing, you know, 37 and a half completion percentage. That's not good enough. Week two, Tyrod Taylor improved. Tyrod Taylor improved. He completed 73% of his passes, threw for 246 yards. Tyrod Taylor's playing just fine for the Cleveland Browns. He's getting the job done. He's putting them in position to win games. They should be 2-0 right now. The problem is the Browns have their backup quarterback, Baker Mayfield, waiting in the wings. Baker Mayfield was a number one overall pick. He's currently, again, the backup quarterback. And there's a lot of chatter right now all around the league, all around the media. Many people believe Baker Mayfield should be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And their argument basically is this. Their their argument for Baker Mayfield starting is basically, why not? Why not? If they're close, if Baker Mayfield and Terod Taylor are similar quarterbacks, just play Baker Mayfield. The argument is, why not? There's not a good reason not to play Baker Mayfield. Well, my counter to that is, 
Why? You say, why not? I say, why? What is the reason? Has Baker Mayfield given you a reason to be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? If he hasn't, he should not play. Are you just saying it because you can't find any reasons not to? Or is there an actual reason you can say, Baker Mayfield should be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns because of this? This is why, if you can point to it, I'll buy it. But there's a big difference between a reason why and saying why not. If you can give me evidence, hard evidence, a reason, that's why. Show me Baker Mayfield is the right guy for the job and point to a specific reason. Why not is not good enough. It's just not a good enough reason to make Baker Mayfield the starting quarterback for the Browns. Baker Mayfield very well could be ready. I'm not saying he's not. What I am saying, though, is if you are going to make Baker Mayfield the starting quarterback, if you're going to change Baker Mayfield's position on the team, it should be with purpose. There should be a reason. Again, why not is not good enough. My fear is that the Cleveland Browns are making a reactionary decision because of their win-loss record. Right now, again, the Browns are zero wins, one loss, and a tie. My fear is that Browns fans are going to freak out. They're going to panic and decide we need to play Baker. We need to play Baker Mayfield right now. They're going to make an emotional decision. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't start Baker. What I'm saying is if you're going to start Baker, if you're going to pull the trigger and make Baker Mayfield the starting quarterback, it had better be a well-thought-out, planned decision. I'm just, I'm just asking for Brown, the Browns to make a calculated decision. I don't mind Baker Mayfield being the starting quarterback. I just don't want them to make an emotional decision. Emotional decisions aren't good. It got me kicked out of a flag football game. And I would caution the Browns. Just be, just be smart. If Baker Mayfield's ready to go, then do it. Pull the trigger. I have no problem. I just want the Browns to be sure that they're not making a reactionary decision to the win-loss record right now. Terod Taylor's fine. He's not great, but he can win you games. He's good enough. Because once you start Baker Mayfield, once you name Baker Mayfield the starting quarterback, you can't ever go back. And so all I'm saying is if you decide to start Baker, just be sure it's a well-thought-out, well-planned, calculated decision. All right, we have a great show today. I am so, so excited. We're going to talk about why Ryan Fitzpatrick is the real deal. I'm going to discuss Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, some of the tension between them. I'm going to tell you why the Dallas Cowboys should commit to Dak Prescott, sign him to a longer deal. I would if I was the Cowboys. I know I've been critical of Dak. That doesn't mean I don't think he can win games. And later in the show, I'm going to talk about college quarterbacks. Every Wednesday, I dive deep into the college quarterbacks. How do they look? Who looks like NFL ready? We're going to do the Deadly Dozen. We're going to do Zach as a genius. It's going to be a fun show. I can't wait. Remember, you can't subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, maybe you want more from the show. Maybe you would love to see Strong Opinion Sports on Twitch, or you want to see me have better guests. Guys like, I know there's a couple people out there, I'm like, I would love to call them up. I just don't have the time or resources right now. If you love Strong Opinion Sports, you want more from it. Help me grow by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Oh, man. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is going to be fun. I'm going to drink some water. Ryan Fitzpatrick is um, 
My goodness. So Ryan Fitzpatrick has dominated. Ryan Fitzpatrick has dominated through the first two weeks of the 2018 NFL season. He has thrown for over 400 yards in both of the first two games. He has four touchdowns in both. He has a 78% completion percentage. Again, it's 78.7. Right now, Ryan Fitzpatrick is dominating the NFL. He's the league MVP after just two games. Him or Patrick Mahomes. It's unbelievable. Now, however... Despite his success, Ryan Fitzpatrick has a lot of doubters. There are numerous people who do not believe in Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I want to make a statement. Ryan Fitzpatrick is for real. Ryan Fitzpatrick's success is not an accident. I believe in experience. I think experience matters. The more you do something, the better you get at it. My big example is this. Look at my first video I've ever made. It was trash. It was awful. You may still think I'm trash, but you know that I'm better now than I was when I first started. And if you come back in five years, I'll be even better. The more you do something, the better you get. The more experience you have, the more you know how to handle different situations, and the better you are. So people doubt, the people who doubt Ryan Fitzpatrick, all the people who don't believe in him, they make basically the same argument. They say that historically, Ryan Fitzpatrick always fails eventually. They'll say he has a lot of success, he gets paid, he becomes a starting quarterback, and then he gets benched because his play is not good enough. There's a cycle with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Does really well, gets paid, gets benched, then does it all over again. I I have a, a very strong core value. I think failure is very important. Failure is a great way to learn in life. I think failure, I think struggling has tremendous value. My brother died once. It was awful. It sucked. And I don't recommend it. I'm not saying it was a good thing in my life. But that experience has value. When you go through a breakup, there's value. When bad things happen to you, when you struggle, there's value in that experience if you allow yourself to learn from it. Ryan Fitzpatrick is in his 14th season in the NFL. He's been on seven different NFL teams. Are you telling me you don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick has learned from the past? Because I would bet he has. My guess is Ryan Fitzpatrick has learned a lot from his failures, from his successes, from his failures, everything. He, I'm sure he looks back and goes, man, why didn't that work? Why did things fall apart with the Jets? Ryan Fitzpatrick has been learning how to be an NFL quarterback for the last 14 years. And when you do anything for 14 years, I guarantee you know what you're doing. I believe in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I do not think his success this season is an accident. He's been around the league. Ryan Fitzpatrick has seen everything you could possibly see in the NFL. There is not a single situation you can throw at Ryan Fitzpatrick he's not ready and prepared for. He's been a starter. He's been a backup. He's been everything in between. He knows what's coming next. He's ready. And now Ryan Fitzpatrick is taking advantage of his experience. Because some people look at Ryan Fitzpatrick's Past failures is weakness. Because again, he does really well for a while, he falls apart. I look at those experiences as a strength. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm sure, has learned from the past. Now, you need to know that the NFL has changed. The NFL is not the same league it was years ago. Not even five years ago. The rules have evolved to protect quarterbacks, to make their careers last longer. Tom Brady was the league MVP last year at 40 years old. He's 41, still killing it. Drew Brees is 39 years old, dominating in the NFL. 
in comparison, when you say, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's 35 years old. I've been saying he's too old. I've said that multiple times. Well, when you look around, you realize, oh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, in comparison to the guys dominating, you could even say he's one of the younger ones at 35. Because guys play longer. They last longer. And because he didn't play every snap for 14 years, he's actually probably got more hits under his belt than some of the guys that have been taking hits for years. I believe the Buccaneers should commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Even, even if Ryan Fitzpatrick's play goes down, if he throws fewer touchdowns next week, he throws a couple interceptions, he throws for less yards. If on Sunday versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, his, he doesn't miraculously throw for four touchdowns at 400 yards, I still think Ryan Fitzpatrick should be the quarterback for the Buccaneers. If he has any level of success at all, I would commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Here's why. I drive a 1996 Toyota Corolla. It, man, it's old. It is an old, kind of crappy car, to be honest. But it works. It works. It gets me from point A to point B. It gets the job done. And I don't see why you would replace something that works. If Ryan Fitzpatrick is getting the job done, there is no reason to get rid of him. I'm going to drive my Toyota Corolla until it falls apart. I love that thing. It was my brother's car. He died. It's now mine. There's sentimental reasons too, but why would I pay a bunch of money to get a new car when the one I already have works? You wouldn't. You wouldn't replace something that works. And Ryan Fitzpatrick right now, he works. He's working for the Buccaneers. He's getting the job done. And he's not just getting the job done at a bare minimum level. He's dominating in the NFL. The Buccaneers have to commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick. They need to ride it out. They need to commit to Ryan Fitzpatrick until it just totally fails. Similar to my Corolla. It's working. Don't screw it up. You can't, you can't fix something that, is, that isn't broken. The Buccaneers locker room loves Ryan Fitzpatrick. They support him. And I, I guarantee Ryan Fitzpatrick is prepared. He's experienced. If nothing else, he's ready to go. And I think all his past failures are setting Ryan Fitzpatrick up now. And that's why he's so successful. He's never really had a fair chance. He's never had a great team around him. This is probably the best offense Ryan Fitzpatrick has ever played in in the NFL. And he's taking advantage. I believe in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think the Buccaneers should not only commit to him this year, give him a year, give him two. I'm, I'm just curious. If you think, if the Buccaneers think they have a chance to win a Super Bowl, go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because he's cheap. He's much cheaper than other quarterbacks. And you can get a lot of good pieces around him if you give him two, three years. All I'm saying, man, if it works, don't pull the car apart. Because right now, that car is going down the street and it's working. How about this? This is one that um, will surprise people. I strongly believe this. The Dallas Cowboys should commit to Dak Prescott long term. I know that's weird. I I know I've been very critical of Dak Prescott. I've said Dak Prescott's not good enough. But I've never said Dak Prescott couldn't get better. I've never once said Dak Prescott is so bad, he'll never win in the NFL. I want you to consider the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their quarterback, the Jaguars quarterback, Blake Bortles, has struggled in the last couple years. However, despite all of his struggles, the Jaguars remained committed to Blake Bortles. In year five, this is Blake Bortles' fifth season in the NFL. He finally appears to be figuring it out. If I'm a Jaguars fan, all the patience, all the years of going, ah, he's not good enough, all the patience has finally paid off. Do you know what Blake Bortles did on Sunday? Blake Bortles dismantled the New England Patriots. Nobody nobody destroys the Patriots. That's what Blake Bortles did. Blake Bortles 
emboweled the pig. He just destroyed them. He, he totally took them apart. And he did it with his arm. Historically, Blake Bortles cannot win games with his arm. And he's showing an evolution. He is getting better. He's evolved as a quarterback. Now, my theory on this has always been year four or five. If you look back through the years with NFL quarterbacks, statistics jump. An NFL quarterback statistics get tremendously better in either year four or year five. That's when they take a big jump. Russell Wilson did this. Tom Brady did this. Drew Brees did this. Big Ben did this. Matt Ryan did this. Every quarterback you can think of almost year four or five has had a jump statistically. Their completion percentage went from 60% to 65%. They went from throwing 3,000 yards a season to 4,000 yards a season. Year four and five is when a quarterback in the NFL has his biggest jump in progression. It's when he gets the most improved. Now you got to remember, Dak Prescott is in year three. He has two more years to meet that minimum five-year plan. If, 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 if I, here's what I would do. If I was the, Dak Pres- uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and here's what I've always said about Dak Prescott. Go look at my old videos. I've been critical of him, but I've always said the Cowboys must be patient with Dak Prescott. If I was the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott wants a new contract. I would sign Dak Prescott to a three-year deal, a contract that has two years guaranteed and a third year there's an out if we want it. And uh, I would overpay Dak Prescott somewhat. I would not pay Dak Prescott what he's worth because you owe it to him. Remember, Dak Prescott's made almost no money. He's been grossly underpaid his entire career, and so you owe Dak Prescott more than he's worth. I would overpay Dak Prescott a little bit. Keep him happy. Can't hurt. And then I'd give Dak Prescott two more years and reevaluate after year five. You can cut bait after year five. But let's give Dak Prescott some time. You remember, he has no help. He has horrible wide receivers. He has Ezekiel Elliott. That's great. His play calling isn't very good. I'm not a fan of that. I would give Dak Prescott more time if I was the Dallas Cowboys. And here's the thing. Who are they going to replace him with? Are they going to trade for Teddy Bridgewater? Because that's honestly about it. They could maybe trade for Eli Manning, but that's never going to happen because the Giants are not going to trade Eli Manning to the Cowboys. I just would never see that happening. And the thing is, Dak Prescott's better than almost any quarterback you could draft next year because you're going to have a higher, a middle-of-the-road higher draft pick unless you trade away all your picks for a first-round pick. My point is this. Dak Prescott's about the best thing the Cowboys are going to get in the next two years anyways. So why not commit to him? Give him two years. I would give Dak Prescott two years. And my reason is, I'm not just saying why not. My reason is this. Year four and five, again, is when quarterbacks tend and usually have a big jump in their statistics. And and my guess is Dak Prescott's going to do the same thing. Give him time. Give him time. Because I I think Dak Prescott, year four or five, is going to take a big step forward. You just got to be patient. You can cut him after two years. Give Dak Prescott two years guaranteed. Overpay him a little bit to make up for the last couple years when you've been paying nothing. And then if he sucks, if, if in year five, he still hasn't had a jump forward, cut bait. Let Dak Prescott go. But I would give Dak Prescott two more years if I was the Dallas Cowboys. This is one I did not tease. I'm really excited. I don't think you guys know this is coming. Uh, this topic's really, really fun. It's not really fun. It's interesting, and I think I'm alone. I, I guarantee I'm the only person that's going to say this uh, based on what happened Monday. Remember, my goal is always to be authentic and interesting. 
And so um, this is something I, I was taking notes. I'm watching the Monday night football game between the Bears and the Seahawks. And I just was like, oh, oh, no, I got to share this. So on Monday night football, the Bears and the Seahawks played. The Bears beat the Seahawks 24 to 17. And it was just an infuriating game to watch. It was painful. It was like, ugh. Because I watched Mitch Trubisky, the Bears quarterback, and Russell Wilson, the Seahawks quarterback, have almost identical stats. Two touchdowns, two turnovers, just around 200 yards passing. Russell Wilson was 22 for 36. Mitch Trubisky was 25 for 34. But here's why this was incredibly hard to watch. If Russell Wilson was the Bears quarterback, then the Bears would win the Super Bowl. You understand that, right? It's so infuriating to watch Russell Wilson struggle with no help. Meanwhile, Mitch Trubisky is people missing people wide open. Has all these opportunities, and Mitch Trubisky's not getting it done for the Bears. Mitch Trubisky missed all kinds of easy plays while Russell Wilson's running around doing his own thing, just struggling to even get any kind of yards on offense. The contrast between Mitch Trubisky's talent level and Russell Wilson on Monday Night Football, the contrast just slapped you in the face. It was awful. It was like, wow, Russell Wilson is so far ahead of Mitch Trubisky. No knock on Mitch Trubisky. I'm not saying he's bad. But it's so disappointing to watch the Bears have this incredibly innovative coach, Matt Nagy, a guy that I respect whose play calls are it's, it's a work of art. It's beautiful to watch him call a play and the way he designs his plays. There's always a way for guys to get open and Mitch Trubisky constantly had guys open. And despite the fact that Matt Nagy's drawing up these sweet, amazing plays like this sandbox, Mitch Trubisky struggled to even get 200 yards passing. The Bears have this legendary offense. Meanwhile, Russell Wilson is running this stagnant, old Horrible, like, 1930s offense. And I'm like, can we just switch quarterbacks? Can we just put Russell Wilson in at the Bears quarterback? Because, oh my goodness, they would do special things. I mean, the Bears have this legendary defense. They have great offensive weapons. They have a good offensive line. They have a, a fantastic coach. And then they're left with Mitch Trubisky, who's not awful, but he's really limited. And Mitch Trubisky kept missing a bunch of plays. Russell Wilson was sacked six times. He's not running innovative plays. He's running really old, really stagnant, like a, again, like a 1930s offense. It was like, oh, guys, can we do anything creative? I want to repeat this. If Russell Wilson was the Bears quarterback, the Bears would win the Super Bowl. You understand that, right? I, I know that Russell Wilson had a bunch of turnovers late. I can't defend those. I can't defend the fumble. I can't defend the pick six or what? Was it a pick six or did I can't remember one all the way, but I can't defend those. That pick was awful. It was a five-yard hitch. He threw it to the left. It was terrible. I can't defend Russell Wilson's turnovers. But I can point out he was incredibly overmatched. He was sacked six times and still put his team in position to maybe win the game. He didn't. He threw the pick. They lost. But the fact that that game was even within striking distance near the end, a one-score game, unbelievable. Unbelievable. See, Russell Wilson's like Superman on the Seahawks roster. He's, everybody around him is so less talented. He's not getting any help. He has to make all these ridiculous plays just to make the ball game even close. 
That is why Russell Wilson had the turnovers he had on Monday Night Football. He's trying to elevate the people around him. Actually, that's what Sam Darnold did. Remember Sam Darnold is from last year at USC? Had a bunch of interceptions. It's because he was outmatched. He was trying to elevate the people around him. And ironically, people say Sam Darnold was awful as last year at USC. He won the Pac-12. Taking risks is not a bad thing. Having turnovers is not a bad thing, especially when you're so outmatched and you're trying to carry your team. Man, I don't know. There's rumors right now that the Seahawks have no plans to re-sign Russell Wilson. They're like, they just don't, aren't interested. Um, I want to point out that Russell Wilson is a free agent in 2020. I hope he leaves. I hope Russell Wilson leaves the Seahawks. I, I do. He's, he deserves so much better. He deserves a real offensive line. And he deserves some kind of innovative play calling. Some sense of a real offensive coordinator. Not this stagnant, awful offense the Seahawks are running. It's sad. It's disappointing. It's hard to watch. The contrast between Matt Nagy's offense for the Bears and whatever garbage Russell Wilson was forced to run, it just hit you in the face. It was so hard to watch. And I could not help but think, if Russell Wilson was the Bears quarterback, they would win the Super Bowl. Let's talk about Bill Belichick. There's a bunch of new Tom Brady, Bill Belichick noise. And I'm not going to call it news. It's noise. It's just crap. There's no substance here. People keep saying that Tom Brady's tired of Bill Belichick. Other people are saying it's affecting Tom Brady's work, uh, attitude at work. Can we just stop? Can we stop all of it? All the rumors, all the speculation. It's driving me nuts. There's no real news here. It's a bunch of speculation, a bunch of rumors. Here's what I know. The rumor right now is that Tom Brady's tired of Bill Belichick. He's considered divorce. That's the word that was used. I want to give you guys some advice. I I know I'm 21. (laughs) I'm I'm in no place for the most part to give any advice. But I want to share an experience I had. I lived with my ex-girlfriend. And at some point, you either, listening, you either will live with your girlfriend or live with someone you love. Or you're going to be around someone you care about all the time. Whether it's your brother, you live with your brother, a roommate you love, your best friend, a girlfriend, regardless. I lived with my ex-girlfriend, and I I loved this girl. Awesome. But we didn't know how to give each other space. And when you're around someone all the time, all their little quirks, all the little things about them that bother you, get amplified. You don't like that she, you know, picks her nails, or she forgets her dishes on the couch. But when you live with them, when you're around them all the time, all those things get amplified and get even worse. I'll give you, go even farther. I lived with my best friend. So I, I lived with my girlfriend. That ended. I live with my best friend. Every time I go home, I live with my best friend. All summer, I live with my best friend. Um, I just posted a picture with him, right? I love this guy. But when we're around each other too much, we go crazy. We want to kill each other. Because when you're around someone that much, there's always tension. It just That's how it is. So of course, when people tell me, Tom Brady sometimes thinks about leaving Bill Belichick. They struggle at times. Yeah, no duh. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been working together for 18 years. That's more than that's more than most marriages last. You understand that, right? That's unbelievable. 18 years? Of course Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are ready to kill each other. When you spend that much time with somebody, they drive you nuts. All their issues, all their quirks and the things you don't like get amplified. Now here's another thing people have said. <clears throat> People have said that Bill Belichick has affected Tom Brady's attitude at work. No way. I, I don't buy that. that. That one's dumb. That one needs to go away. 
Tom Brady doesn't have a bad attitude with the Patriots. I, I don't buy that at all. Tom Brady's 41 years old. Do you understand? Tom Brady is 41. If Tom Brady didn't like what he was doing, if he had problems, if he had gripes, he wouldn't show up. He's too old to deal with that crap. I guarantee Tom Brady loves the game. His passion is unmatched. Any little issue he has with Bill Belichick, it's not enough to affect his attitude with the Patriots locker room. Look up the video, Tom Brady's love for the game. It's on the NFL, NFL, like the NFL, the actual official NFL YouTube channel. In that video, Tom Brady's dad talks about how he's afraid that Tom Brady's going to struggle when he retires because Tom Brady puts all his time, all his effort, everything he has into playing football and says that there could be a problem when Tom Brady eventually retires because he might not have anything to put his time into. Tom Brady loves this sport. He loves football. He's, he's obsessed. He's passionate. There's no way that Tom Brady's attitude is struggling with the Patriots. Get that out of here. The Patriots are fine. They're okay. They lost on Sunday to the Jaguars. They got beat pretty bad too. But can we stop the noise? There's no news. There's no substance. Until you have an actual story to report on, can we stop talking about rumors and speculation with the Patriots? I just, ah, they're fine. It's the Patriots. They have issues. They have flaws. So does everybody after an 18-year relationship. I'm not concerned about the Patriots. I don't know why everybody is. But I, I am I'm tired of talking about the Patriots' noise. Can we just talk about the news? And if you have a real story, something with substance to talk about, then we'll, then, then we'll have a conversation. But until then... I'm done. I'm, I'm sick of this Patriots story. This Belichick-Brady rift. Yes, they have problems. They're human beings. They've been together for a long time. I'm tired of it. Okay, before the break, I want to revisit the, my Vikings opinion. I want to revisit my opinion on the Vikings-Packers game from Sunday. On Sunday, you understand the Packers and the Vikings tied. Neither side won. And I've, said, I've been very con con consistent on this. The Vikings are the better team. The Vikings have a better roster than the Packers. They should win that game. The Vikings are a Ferrari. The Packers are a Honda Civic. And remember, the Vikings brought in Kirk Cousins. Paid him a bunch of money. Because they wanted to win games like the Packers game. I've never blamed Kirk Cousins for the tie game. I've never said that Kirk Cousins was not the reason why the Packers, the Vikings did not beat the Packers. I've never said it was Kirk Cousins' fault. All I've said is that even with Kirk Cousins, great roster, great coach, great offensive line, you add Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins plays fantastic. Despite all of that going in favor of the Vikings, the Vikings still could not beat the Packers. Now, when I say that, Vikings fans get livid. They get so mad. But I'm not saying anything that's not true. It's a fact. All that in mind, all the things that went right for the Vikings, it was not enough for the Vikings to beat the Packers. It's not complicated. It's very simple. The score was 29 to 29. They tied. When you say Kirk Cousins won, he beat Aaron Rodgers, his stats were better. Uh, scoreboard. It was 29 to 29. All the stuff that went right for the Vikings was not 
enough. It's not complicated. The Vikings were still unable to beat Aaron Rodgers in spite of everything else. That's all I've said. Nothing but fact. People get so mad when you say that. (laughs) All right. Okay. But on Sunday, even adding Kirk Cousins, it was not enough for the Vikings to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, there are three segments left. Short, to the point, we're going to get it done. We're going to do the Deadly Dozen. Remember, these are the 12 teams I think are going to make the playoffs after week two of the NFL season. We're going to do Zach as a genius. I talk about all the things I missed. I sometimes, you know, I take a big swing and I just completely miss. And other times, hit a home run. So we're going to discuss all the times I've, sometimes I've hit, I've nailed it, and sometimes I've completely missed. We're going to discuss those in the last week. And at the end of the show, we're going to talk about college quarterbacks. How do the college quarterbacks look after three weeks? How do I rank them? Who looks the most NFL ready? Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. If you want me to have cool guests, if you want me to stream the show on Twitch, if you want more from this content, help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. All right, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break, and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I don't want to waste anybody's time. I let the music run out. There's music always plays in the background of this uh, intro segment coming back from the break. I want to jump right into the Deadly Dozen. So some people do power rankings. They do like their top 10 NFL teams every week. Um, and I'm not into that. I, I, I find issue with that because, for example, the Chargers, were, in a lot of people's minds, were the number one, number three, number four team in a lot of power rankings at the end of last year's season. They didn't even make the playoffs. So having the top 10 best teams in the NFL, that's great, but it's meaningless if they don't make the playoffs. So what I do is the Deadly Dozen. I predict my 12 playoff teams after every single week, every Wednesday. There are six AFC teams and six NFC teams. I want to start in the AFC. These are my, this is the deadly dozen. So in the AFC, I think the Jaguars are going to win the AFC South. They have an unbelievable roster. They have defense. They have a coach. They have a great offensive line. But the difference for the Jaguars, the reason why the Jaguars could even be the first seed in the AFC is because of their quarterback, Blake Bortles. He has elevated his play. We're two weeks in. But if he keeps it up, the Jaguars are a legitimate Super Bowl team. They might even be able to beat a team like the Rams or like the, God, can you imagine that matchup? The Rams and the Jaguars in the Super Bowl? I would love that. That'd be a a game for the ages. I believe the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West. It's very simple. It's Patrick Mahomes and all his incredible athletic friends. Patrick Mahomes is just an incredible talent. It's already paid off. The Chiefs took a chance, got rid of Alex Smith committed to Patrick Mahomes, and it's already paid off. Patrick Mahomes puts the Kansas City Chiefs over the top. They're going to win their division, make the playoffs. The Patriots are going to win the AFC East. This is actually the one I'm, other than the AFC North, I have no idea. The Dolphins are really going to push the New England Patriots. And it's Brady Belichick. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I don't know, man. I have no idea. They, uh, they lost one game. It's not great. Um, but they're going to be okay. Now, one thing I want to point out with the Patriots, they just added Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon is an electric wide receiver from the Cleveland Browns. Now, he has a ton of off-the-field issues. I don't know that it's going to work out. I hope it does for him as a person. 
But if Josh Gordon can get going with the Patriots and stay on track off the field, oh my goodness. Tom Brady to Josh Gordon would be terrifying. It would be fantastic. And the Patriots would win their division if Josh Gordon plays at a really high level. The problem is we've never actually seen him consistently play at a high level because of all his off-the-field issues. Now, the AFC North is completely a toss-up. I I don't really know, but I do believe first in the Bengals. I predict right now the Bengals are going to win the AFC North. Forget all the years past. It's If you forget what's happened in the past and look at just this year, you would say, wow, the Bengals are playing incredible football. They're playing great all around. Their offense is fantastic. Their defense looks great. Their special teams is great. Every phase of the football game is going really, really well for the Bengals. Now, Andy Dalton is the key to this offense. Andy, every quarterback needs to be really needs to be if you're going to make the playoffs you got to have a good quarterback but Andy Dalton is looking a little bit different this year he's using play action really well the the Bengals are running the ball really well but Andy Dalton just looks more comfortable he's a little bit ahead I think it's because all his weapons are healthy but if Andy Dalton keeps playing at a high level the Bengals are a playoff team and they will win the AFC North now in the wild card I have first the Dolphins the Dolphins are a for sure I think they're a playoff team they might even win their division their defense is playing great. They're tied for first with the most interceptions in the NFL. The, D, uh, the, the Dolphins have gotten five interceptions from other teams. In two weeks, the Dolphins have picked off five passes. Now, their offensive line is solid. The coach is solid for the Dolphins. And Ryan, Fitz, uh, Ryan Tannehill, not Fitzpatrick, Ryan Tannehill, the Miami Dolphins quarterback, is making just great decisions. That is why I buy the Dolphins. The coach, quarterback, Offensive line, defense, but again, the quarterback is the main thing. Ryan Tannehill's making great decisions. He's not a wild, flashy quarterback, but he's really doing a good job, and I think the Dolphins are a playoff team. The Chargers are my final wild card team. Dude, I have no idea who's going to get the final wild card spot in the AFC. It's a mess. The AFC, after the first five teams, it careens down into the depths of horribleness. Um, now, I think the Chargers right now are the favorite. They're the best, most talented team that could get the final last wildcard spot. The problem is they're 1-1, one and, one, and the Chargers are going to start 1-2. and two. They're going to lose to the Rams on Sunday. I think they'll be okay. In October, the Chargers are going to get Joey Bosa back. Um, he's their fantastic defensive end. And uh, coming up, the Chargers are going to play the Titans, the Seahawks, the Raiders twice, the Cardinals, the Broncos twice. I believe the Chargers are going to figure it out. It's just going to take them a little bit of time. Now, the one team I left out of the playoffs in the AFC is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers locker room is imploding. Le'Veon Bell's gone. Guys are calling him out. Antonio Brown's not showing up to the practice facility on Monday. He said a bunch of weird stuff on Twitter, said, trade me and find out when tempted and said he's not as great as he thinks he is. Um, And Big Ben is hit or miss. So right now, the Steelers look like they are not a playoff team. They look like they're imploding. And I think it's very possible that finally the loosey-goose approach that Mike Tomlin has that, you know, not buttoned up, that a lot of kind of a mess that Tom, Mike Tomlin has, it's finally catching up to Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, in the NFC, the six teams I predict making the playoffs in the NFC, first, it starts with the Rams. The Rams are the best team in the NFL. They're going to win the NFC West. It's very, very simple. They had an average game against the Cardinals on Sunday. They won 34 to nothing. They have stars everywhere. I'm not sure that the Rams have a weakness. If they do have a weakness, it's actually their defensive ends. Now, I got to say, um, very personally, my, my buddy Samson Ibicom, I played with him in high school. He plays defensive end for the Rams. 
I think if that's their weakest link, I, the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl. They're, they're fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Now, the Eagles in the NFC East are going to win their division. Carson Wentz is coming back. And I still think they have the second best roster in football. Their defense struggled last week against Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think he's just unbelievable. I don't know what's going on with him. Um, but regardless, they have a, a really great defense, a good coach. Carson Wentz is coming back, a great offensive line. The Eagles have everything. They're going to win the NFC East. Now, uh, the Falcons are going to win the NFC South. Uh, they played the Panthers, and I was surprised at how well they played. They were missing their starting running back, and despite all of that, playing the Panthers, who have a great run defense. The Falcons ran for 170 yards. They were 4-for-4 four four in the red zone, which is a huge storyline. The big thing with the Falcons is, everyone says, they struggle in the red zone. They can't get the ball. They can't score when they're in the red zone. Well, they were 4-for-4 four four last week. It's very possible that week one was a fluke. And I think the Falcons have finally buttoned it up, and they're ready to go. Matt Ryan was fantastic. There's a huge game on Sunday between the Falcons and the Saints coming up in week three. And I cannot wait to watch. Falcons-Saints week three is going to be the best game of the week. I think the Vikings are going to win the NFC North. I know they didn't beat the Packers. Uh, they, they tied the Packers on Sunday. But regardless, the Vikings are going to win more games than the Packers. They're a better roster. Kirk Cousins is playing out of his mind. He's great. They bought, brought in Dan Bailey, the kicker from the Cowboys, the former Cowboy kicker. Dan Bailey elevates the team. The Vikings had a really great week. They're a great roster. They got even better by adding Dan Bailey. I believe the Vikings are going to win the NFC North, make the playoffs. Now, in the wild card, the first team left, of course, it's the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is great. As long as he stays healthy, the Packers are a wild card team at the very least. They could win their division, depending on the head-to-head matchup between the Vikings and the Packers down the road. The wild, last wild card spot in the NFC, I'm giving to the Saints. It was controversial. I didn't know who to put in there. It was either the Saints or the Buccaneers. I just I trust Drew Brees more than I trust Ryan Fitzpatrick. I picked the Saints. I'm betting on Drew Brees uh, to take his team to the playoffs. Now, week three is one of the biggest games of the entire season so far. Saints, Falcons, I alluded to it earlier. That's going to have a huge, huge impact on both the Falcons season and the Saints season. The Falcons are one and one The Saints are one and one It's going to be really important. They don't want to go one and two. So that week three game between the Falcons and the Saints is a massive, massive matchup. Again, this has been the deadly dozen. There's 12 teams I predict making the playoffs. In the AFC, the Jaguars, the Chiefs, the Patriots, and the Bengals are going to win their division. The two wildcard teams in the AFC are the Dolphins and the Chargers. In the NFC, the Rams, the Eagles, the Falcons, and the Vikings will win their divisions. And the wildcard teams will be the Saints and the Packers. Okay. I need water. I can feel my mouth. It's, again, I'm at the point of the year where no matter how much chapstick I apply, no matter how much water I drink, my lips are always constantly chapped and cracking. It's not fun. It's the weather outside. It's getting cold here. It just sucks. <clears throat> so, I miss stuff. I miss stuff all the time. I make predictions. Sometimes I take a big swing and I miss. And other times, I hit a home run and knock it out of the park. I completely nail it. This is my favorite segment. It's called Zach is a Genius. It's where I make fun of myself because I'm, I'm not a genius all the time. I often get things wrong. Um, and so I, I take a big swing. I miss. I miss a lot of stuff. I nail a lot of stuff. This is Zach is a Genius. My biggest miss right now is Eli Manning. 
I kept saying Eli Manning was washed up. I was ready to end his career. Uh, yeah, I missed. My bad. Um, Eli Manning can still win games in the NFL. He just isn't getting the help he deserves. I missed on Eli Manning all preseason. I, I bashed him. I said he wasn't right. He couldn't win games. I was wrong. It's not Eli Manning. It's the Giants. And that is the thing I nailed. That leads me to what I nailed, which is I nailed the New York Giants. They are not very good. I hate to say it. Hey, Giants fans, I told you so. And I'm sorry. I'm going I'm to lower my voice. Um, it, it's, it's disappointing. I had a Giants fan apologize to me. <laughs> and I, I wasn't mad. I wasn't, I wasn't vindicated. I felt bad. Because I, I don't root against anybody. And I know how emo- The reason why Giants fans are so mad at me when I said they were a bad team is because I know Giants fans come from a place of emotion. They love the Giants. They're passionate about the Giants. I don't want to offend Giants fans. I'm not trying to be mean to you guys. I just, I knew they were a bad team, and, and they are. Um, it's really sad. Eli Manning's been sacked eight times in two weeks. Saquon Barkley averaged two and a half yards a carry on Sunday against the Giants, uh, against the Cowboys, excuse me. And the offensive line is simply not looking very good for the Giants. I, I, I'm sorry to report. I know Giants fans, can we, ha- can we hug it out? I'm sorry, guys. It's, it's rough. Uh, but the Giants aren't very good. And Eli Manning actually is capable of winning games. And in spite of that, the Giants still aren't very good. So Giants fans, I feel for you. I'm sorry, but your team isn't very good. What did I miss? Another big miss of mine has been Blake Bortles. I have been a Blake Bortles doubter all offseason. And guess what? Two weeks into the season, Blake Bortles looks like he's figured it out. Makes me look like I completely missed. I whiffed. Uh, He shredded the Patriots on Sunday. And if Blake Bortles keeps it up, Blake Bortles is going to take the Jaguars to the Super Bowl. Now, I nailed it on Malcolm Butler. The Patriots let Malcolm Butler go, their former cornerback in free agency, and the Titans signed Malcolm Butler to a five-year deal worth $61 million. I said that the Titans massively overpaid for him. Oh, I nailed it. I was right. Uh. So far this season, statistically, Malcolm Butler is the worst corner in the entire NFL. He's been targeted 17 times in the last two weeks. He's given up a league-worst 257 yards when quarterbacks threw at him. And Malcolm Butler has also given up a league-worst three touchdowns when the ball has been thrown in his direction. Shocking development. This is going to surprise everybody. Again, shocking development. Guess what? Bill Belichick is a genius. Hello? I said it when it happened. I said that Bill Belichick only gets rid of guys when they're done. When it's either either they're done or they're very close to done. Uh, Bill Belichick got this one right. He won. He nailed it too. All, everyone was so mad when Malcolm Butler didn't play in the Super Bowl. Oh, it's going to make a huge impact. The reason why the Patriots lost the Super Bowl is Malcolm Butler didn't play. Uh, clearly, Malcolm Butler isn't very good. So, um, I don't know. Just saying. <laughs> Malcolm Butler, he, he made one big interception in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. And suddenly our perception jumps so high. And we're like, oh, Malcolm Butler, he's like a Hall of Fame corner. He's so good. He had one play. He played all right for the Patriots for a couple of years, but he had one play that we just, we elevated into a level above where he really is. Malcolm Butler is a struggling corner. Bill Belichick didn't bring him back and the Titans massively overpaid for him. I nailed that one. Now I missed on Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> I said after week one that lightning doesn't strike twice. I said, you know, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick had five touchdowns week one against the, uh, against the Saints, and I said that will not happen again. Guess what? It happened again. He dominated the Eagles in week two. In two weeks in the NFL, in the 2018 NFL season, Ryan Fitzpatrick has thrown for 819 yards, eight touchdowns. He has a 78.7% completion percentage. It's unheard of. And I, weirdly enough, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to keep it going. I whiffed. I missed on Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, the last thing I nailed has been Baker Mayfield. The attitude of the Cleveland Browns towards Baker Mayfield. I said all along, the Browns have unhelpful expectations. It was my big concern about the Browns before the season started. And I said that if the Browns didn't start incredibly, if they didn't go 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, 4-1, I said that if the Browns don't have a great start, Cleveland is going to panic. They're going to freak out, they're going to panic, and they're going to start Baker Mayfield too early. Well, the Browns tied the Steelers in week one, and they lost by a field goal to the Saints. Two playoff teams, by the way, two teams that were in the playoffs last year, great rosters, and Cleveland's freaking out. Everybody in the media is freaking out. They're saying, why not start Baker Mayfield? Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. No. Don't panic. Relax. The Browns should be 2-0. Yet people are already panicking, freaking out, ready to make Baker Mayfield the starter. Terod Taylor's playing good. He's got you in position to win games. You just need a kicker and hit some kicks. Nobody should panic about Baker Mayfield. I called it. I told you. I nailed it. I said The Browns are going to panic and play Baker Mayfield too early. It's looking like that's about to happen. It shouldn't, but everyone's getting emotional and panicking panicking in Cleveland. That was Zach is a Genius. It's my favorite segment. Again, sometimes I swing and I miss. Sometimes I hit home runs and I'm right. So that is what it is. I, I nail it or I miss. That has been Zach is a Genius. Okay, last thing I want to talk about today Let's talk about the college quarterbacks. The, this is how I view the college quarterbacks from an NFL perspective, top down. I'm not talking about great college quarterbacks that put up good numbers. I'm talking about the quarterbacks who look like they are good NFL prospects that could play at a high level or, or even get drafted highly in the NFL. The first quarterback I want to talk about is Drew Locke. Finally, Drew Locke from Mizzou played a legitimate football team. He played Purdue. He dominated. Drew Locke was 26 for 43, had 350, 375 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And the thing is, Drew Locke should have had four touchdowns. He had one dropped. Uh, Purdue said to three-man rush at one point, and Drew Locke was playing seven on seven. He just didn't even care. He sat in the pocket forever, found the guy, threw a touchdown. It was beautiful. Uh, I do believe that Drew Locke is going to struggle in SEC play. When Drew Locke plays like Georgia next week, he's going to struggle because his team is outmatched. I mean, his team physically was on the same level as Purdue, and Purdue's not a great Big Ten team. So Drew Locke is going to struggle when he plays an SEC uh, game. But I don't care about that. I don't care about Drew Locke's win-loss record. I care about is Drew Locke making good reads, making good throws, delivering the ball on time, yada, yada, and... I want to say Drew Locke <clears throat> has mastered the college game. Drew Locke looks fantastic. Again, it's like he's playing seven on seven. It's just easy for him. Now, Drew Locke ran for a touchdown, didn't expect that on his own read. He's not a runner. But you know the cliche that says, this guy can make all the throws on the field. That's Drew Locke. Drew Locke's arm is unbelievable. In fact, I think Drew Locke has a better arm than Josh Allen did last year. Similar arm strength, but Josh is not as accurate as Drew Locke is. Drew Locke is deadly accurate. 
Drew Locke's fantastic. Uh, now, what I don't want to do is I don't want to see Drew Locke leaving the pocket. He's not very fast. He's not good imp- at improvisation. Drew Locke needs to hang in the pocket. That's where he's at his best. Um, now, one thing, the last thing I want to say about Drew Locke, I didn't see Drew Locke go from one side of the field to the other. He's good with his first, second read. He usually releases the ball. Uh, he'll see his first read to throw the ball, second read to throw the ball. What I haven't seen from Drew Locke yet all year, and part of it's because he hasn't had to do that yet, because uh, the defenses he's played aren't good enough. We'll see against Georgia next week. Uh, Drew Locke has not had to go from one side of the field to the other, to his third read, to his fourth read. That's what I want to see from Drew Locke down the road. I want to see, can he work all the way through? Now, sometimes Drew Locke's arm is so good. He's so talented throwing the football, he doesn't even have to get to his third and fourth read. His first read won't be open. It doesn't matter because his arm is so good. He'll fit it in anyways. Uh, I wonder if that's going to be a bad habit or if that's just proof of how good Drew Locke is. We'll find out. Is he making NFL throws because guys aren't open and he's just throwing them open? Or is that a play that in the NFL wouldn't work? I'm curious to find out. We're going to learn a lot from Drew Locke in the future in bigger SEC games rather than against Purdue. How about Tua Tungavaloa? He's Alabama's sophomore quarterback. He played Ole Miss on Saturday. Tua was 11 for 15, had 191 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I don't have a lot to say about Tua other than this. Tua might be the best quarterback in college football. <laughs> He's next level good. I know everyone's crit- critical. They're like, well, they're skeptical. They say, well, you know, Tua plays for Alabama, has all these great athletes around him. You don't understand. Tua is a transformative quarterback. He's getting through to his third and fourth read. He is going through his progressions. He's making every throw. It's just easy for him. Even easier than Drew Locke, who's going to struggle. Now, I know, great offensive line, great receivers, but still, Tua's at a different level. Tua is a future number one overall pick at quarterback. I just, it, it's who he is, I guarantee. You watch Russell Wilson and you go, oh, Tua's Russell Wilson. So because of Russell Wilson, Tua's going to be a higher draft pick. He's a great quarterback. He's fantastic. And he's the best quarterback Nick Saban has ever had. Tua is fantastic. He's not just a product of Alabama's success. Tua is also a really great quarterback. He's the best quarterback maybe in college football other than Drew Locke and Will Greer. He is unbelievable. I want to now talk about Joe Burrow. LSU and Auburn played this week. It was a fantastic game. LSU won. And we learned a lot about their quarterbacks from LSU and Auburn. Let's focus first on LSU's quarterback, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is a junior quarterback. Good. He needs another year in college. He was 15 for 34 passing at 249 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He only had a 44% completion percentage. Um, I, I got to say this. I, I love Joe Burrow. And I'm not going to say, I love you and then you're not good. I'm going to say, I am a huge fan of Joe Burrow. His arm isn't good enough. Joe Burrow's arm strength is not enough to play at a high level in the NFL. There's a threshold you have to have a certain amount of arm strength. Joe Burrow doesn't have it. He reminds me of Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore is the Dallas Cowboys quarterback coach. Kellen Moore played back in the day for Boise State. His arm simply wasn't strong enough to succeed in the NFL, but he's a great coach because here's what Joe Burrow and Kellen Moore have in common. Mentally, Joe Burrow is fantastic. Joe Burrow is making plays at the line of scrimmage. He is changing the plays, making great decisions. Physically, Joe Burrow is lacking. His arm strength isn't enough, sadly. He's not very fast. He's a bad athlete, and his arm is weak. But it doesn't matter because his mental side of the game is unbelievable. Now, again, he's not good enough to play, I think, in the NFL at a high level at quarterback. 
sad but true. That's just who Joe Burrow is. His arm isn't strong enough. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I really like the kid. I like the guy. But physically, there are times where Joe Burrow has a guy open over the middle, and he just doesn't have enough juice to get it in there. He'll lob a ball over the middle instead of driving it in, and it leads to incompletions for LSU. Now, regardless, Joe Burrow is a, I'm a huge fan of Joe Burrow. He's great. Now, I'll say this. Um, he needs to stay in the pocket more. He tries to run too much. He tries to leave the pocket and run. A lot of these college quarterbacks have this issue. I don't want guys leaving the pocket. Drew Locke, stay in the pocket. Will Greer, stay in the pocket. You're bad at improv- improvisation. Joe Burrow, you're not fast enough to run. Stop trying to run. Um, and the other thing is Alabama's going to crush LSU. I, it's because of Joe Burrow, but it's not really his fault. His arm strength isn't good enough to beat Alabama. Alabama's going to crush LSU because they both have great rosters. Alabama's quarterback is just another level above Joe Burrow. It's sad but true, and so I um, hope I'm wrong. Joe Burrow did deliver against Auburn. It was a huge win. I want to give props to Joe Burrow. He was poised on Saturday against Auburn late in the game. Auburn was a huge win for LSU. I loved what Joe Burrow did. I saw an arm strength that wasn't good enough for the NFL. But I saw everything else that was like, man, if Joe Burrow can figure out his arm strength, get some more drive on the ball, fix his legs a little bit, Joe Burrow is an NFL quarterback from the mental standpoint because the things he's doing mentally, the line of scrimmage, making reads, making decisions is great. His arm just isn't good enough right now. So I need to see improvement from his arm, but I love what Joe Burrow is doing mentally in college football. How about Jarrett Stidham? Jarrett Stidham was on the other end of the Auburn LSU game. Jarrett Stidham is the Auburn quarterback. He's a junior. He went 16 for 28, had 198 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, He's a really good prospect arm strength-wise. He's like about a Ryan Tannehill. He's above the minimum threshold you need. Now, I would not want to see Jarrett Stidham play in cold weather. Buffalo, Cleveland, New England. Doesn't have arm strength for that. But he could play in... Arizona, in Miami, in Houston, in Jacksonville, places that are warmer, that don't have snow and wind, I could see Jarrett Stidham being successful there. Baker Mayfield has a much stronger arm than Jarrett Stidham. Uh, Now, early in the game, Auburn could not run the ball. They kept hanging in there. They kept being patient, and eventually Auburn was able to run the ball against LSU, But early in the game against LSU, Jarrett Stidham was the only way they could move the chains. He had to throw the ball downfield, and he did it. He succeeded. Um, Now, the problem was LSU is a better team than Auburn. They're just physically better. And Jarrett Stidham fought really hard. The problem was he was outmatched. And and people are going to look at Jarrett Stidham. They're going to see the two interceptions and say, Jarrett Stidham let Auburn down. Jarrett Stidham is the reason why Auburn didn't beat LSU. I want to correct that. Jarrett Stidham is the reason why Auburn was in the game. The reason why the game was so close is because of Jarrett Stidham. Jarrett Stidham kept Auburn around. People would do this with Tony Romo all the time. They'd say, Tony Romo loses all these close games. Uh, No, Tony Romo is the reason the game was even close to begin with. And Jarrett Stidham is the same way. He made way more plays than Joe Burrow. He kept... Auburn around. Joe Burrow had like two or three throws. Jarrett Stidham had like 11, 10, multiple third downs. A lot of times where Jarrett Stidham made big plays and kept Auburn in the game. So right now, Jarrett Stidham is a second or third round pick. He needs to sit a year behind a veteran quarterback. uh, And I don't like him in cold weather, but I, I love what Jarrett Stidham did on Saturday. 
He kept Auburn in that LSU game. LSU was way better than Auburn. Auburn was outmatched physically. And Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback, is the reason why Auburn and LSU was such a close game. He kept Auburn in that game, hung, kept them hanging around. And I commend Jarrett Stidham for his efforts. How about the Oregon quarterback, junior Justin Herbert? Justin Herbert was 16 for 34 on Saturday, 309 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and a meager 47% completion percentage. How, how many times do I have to say this? Justin Herbert is overrated. The Ducks are overrated. The Ducks are the 20th ranked team in college football. They struggled against San Jose State. Washington State last week, two weeks ago, excuse me, week two of college football, a week earlier, dominated San Jose State. San Jose State had 109 yards of offense. Oregon struggled against San Jose State. Not all that is Justin Herbert's fault. Now, Justin Herbert was completely outmatched. Uh, excuse me, not outmatched, but he wasn't getting any help. Next week, when Justin Herbert plays Stanford, he is going to be outmatched. We're going to learn a lot from Justin Herbert next week when he plays the number seven team in the country, Stanford. I do not expect Justin Herbert to beat Stanford, to be unfair and unrealistic. What I want to see from Justin Herbert on Saturday, I want to see good accuracy. I want to see good decision-making. I want to see a guy who, I'd, I, what I'd love to see is him elevate his teammates. Then he's a number one pick. If, if, if Justin Herbert can elevate his bad receivers, his bad offensive line, he's not getting a lot of help. If somehow Jer Justin Herbert can win this game and elevate his teammates, I would be floored. I'd be so impressed. But I don't expect that. What I want to see is good decision-making and accuracy. Because remember, Jared, Justin Herbert was, had a 47% completion percentage, and he's running a college offense. College offenses steal cheap yards, and yet his completion percentage was still bad. Some of that's accuracy. Some of that's wide receivers. But right now, Justin Herbert is not the number one overall pick. He's overrated. He doesn't look very good. He's a second-round quarterback who's physically really gifted but needs more polish before I'm drafting Justin Herbert in the top 10, even in the first round. All right now, he reminds me a lot of Josh Allen. All the physical gifts and none of the polish that I need to see. How about Jake Browning, the Washington senior? It's very simple. Against Utah, he was 14 for 24, had 155 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. Washington's running back, Miles Gaskin, ran for 143 yards. This was a very typical Jake Browning performance on Saturday against Utah. He was fine. Jake Browning was fine. It's hard to criticize because Jake Browning wins, but Jake Browning's an NFL backup. Jake Browning is average arm strength, average accuracy. I don't hate him. He's just not a high-level NFL quarterback. He's solid, but he's not incredible. He'll be lucky to be a backup his entire career. Jake Browning is not a top NFL quarterback. His arm strength isn't there. He's average at making decisions. He's just average. Jake Browning's average. He's going to be a backup quarterback somewhere in the NFL, maybe for a couple years, maybe a Connor Cook. But that's it. That's his max potential. How about JT Daniels, the quarterback from USC, the true freshman? JT Daniels and USC played Texas this week. They lost 14-37. to 37, um, And against Texas, JT Daniels struggled. He was 30 for 4. I, I, excuse me. I don't want to say struggled. I don't know that's fair. None of this is fair. None of what happened to JT Daniels on Saturday was fair. JT Daniels was 30 for 48, had 322 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception. Here's the problem. 
USC ran for negative five yards against Texas. Negative five yards. You can't win a game. You can't even be competitive if you have negative five yards rushing. JT Daniels, the freshman quarterback, is going to get bashed for his performance against Texas. He is the reason they had any success on offense. 322 yards passing with negative five yards rushing means that JT Daniels really stepped up. I don't care how, how much he struggled, his incompletions, his ugly, whatever. Who cares? I don't care that JT Daniels has three touchdowns and one interception on the, sorry, one, in, one touchdown, three interceptions on the season. JT Daniels is not getting the help he needs. On Saturday, USC looked awful running the ball. And the fact that JT Daniels gave them 14 points on the board is unbelievable. I want to remind you of Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer was uh, once a USC quarterback. He became a number one overall pick. He went from the number one quarterback in high school, in the nation, to USC to number one pick. What we forget about Carson Palmer's time at USC is he struggled early. Broke his collarbone. Missed a season. Had a losing record one year. Almost got benched. But Carson Palmer hung around and got better and won games eventually. JT Daniels is going to have a similar path. He's going to struggle early. He's not getting the help he needs. But give JT Daniels patience. The way that USC was patient with Carson Palmer, have patience for JT Daniels because he is a fantastic quarterback. Two touchdowns, 322 yards when you had only negative five yards passing. Unbelievable. Un-freaking-believable. JT Daniels is already underappreciated. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about Steven Montez, the Colorado junior. He was 14 for 19, had 166 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He only played till halftime for Colorado because Colorado played New Hampshire and Colorado ran for 311 yards in the game. Uh, I'll be very quick. Steven Montez is not perfect, but Steven Montez is the best NFL quarterback prospect in the Pac-12. He's a better prospect than Jake Browning. He's a better prospect than Justin Herbert. The best quarterback prospect in the Pac-12 is Steven Montez, the Colorado quarterback. Not a lot of people are paying attention to him. He's making NFL throws. He's making NFL decisions. He looks fantastic. You need to pay attention to Steven Montez, the quarterback at Colorado. He's fantastic. Now, two quarterbacks left I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about Cole McDonald. Cole McDonald is actually a really cool cat. I like this guy. He's a quarterback at Hawaii. Uh, remember, he plays in a Mountain West conference, which means he plays a lower level of competition. It means the game's a little slower. Cole McDonald doesn't yet go to his third and fourth read. He really works on one side of the field at a time. But Cole McDonald is only a sophomore. He has 15 touchdowns on the season. Get this, no interceptions. Cole McDonald is balling out. He's playing fantastic. Three weeks into the season, five t 15 touchdowns. That's what, five touchdowns a game? Unbelievable. Cole McDonald has a 68% completion percentage. And again, I repeat, he's only a sophomore. You know who the Patriots should draft in a couple years? Cole McDonald. He's not appreciated. He's not. No one realizes how good he is. He's legit. Now, again, I want to see more. I want to see the guy work from one side of the field to the other get to his third and fourth read. That's a big thing I always harp on. But I respect Cole McDonald. He's legit. People need to pay attention to the quarterback at Hawaii. He's a sophomore. He's the second best sophomore in college football, second to only two at Tungavaloa at Alabama. And I can't wait to watch Cole McDonald more in the future. Now, Jake Frum. 
Jake Frum is a sophomore quarterback at Georgia. He reminds me a lot of Washington's quarterback, Jake Browning. Um, it's just, eh. Here's how I feel about Jake Browning. Eh. He's fine. He's not awful. He has a higher ceiling than Jake Browning. It's still really early. But Jake Frum, the quarterback at Georgia, has an average arm. He makes some okay reads. He also makes a lot of weird reads that I don't like. When Georgia plays LSU and Georgia plays Auburn, we're going to learn a lot about Jake Frum. We're going to learn about his decision-making. We're going to learn about his moments under pressure. He's looked pretty good. He, had, he played good as a freshman last year. But he's also pretty average. He got carried by a really good roster last year. And so it's still really early for Jake Frum. He had a lot of time to develop. I'm not a huge fan. I think he's more Aaron Murray than he is, I don't know, any other NFL quarterback. Like the real NFL quarterback at Georgia was Jacob Eason. He left. So Jake Frum is fine. Uh, He's not a great NFL quarterback prospect, and I'm not a huge fan of his. But Jake Frum has time to develop. I'll have an open mind. He's only a sophomore. He might develop and get better. Now, this is how I rank the quarterbacks in college football. These are my top eight. Number one is Will Greer. Will Greer did not play this week. Will Greer is the best quarterback at reading defenses in college football. He gets to his third and fourth read regularly. He's mastered college football. He's fantastic. Drew Locke is my second ranked quarterback in college football. Physically, he has everything. I just need to see Drew Locke go from his third and fourth read. He needs to develop a little bit reading and not even develop. He just hasn't had an opportunity. He hasn't had a, a need to do go to his third and fourth read. So we'll see. Drew Locke looks really good. Tua Tungavaloa is a future number one overall pick. He's the third best quarterback prospect in all of college football. He's fantastic. Steven Montez. You need to learn his name. Steven Montez is the quarterback at Colorado. He's the best quarterback prospect in the entire Pac-12. Better than Justin Herbert. Better than Jake Browning. I like Steven Montez a lot. Steve, Justin Herbert is actually my fifth ranked quarterback in college football. He's the fifth best quarterback prospect right now in college football. He's got everything physically. I need to see more accuracy. I need to see better decision making. And I know he doesn't have a lot of help. So I'm, I'm not I'm trying not to be not as hard on him. Or The Ducks are completely overrated. They don't have great receivers. And Justin Herbert's not getting a lot of help. But still, I want to see more. Right now, physically great. Kind of reminds me of Josh Allen. I just haven't seen enough precision from Justin Herbert to rank him higher as a quarterback prospect. Jarrett Stidham is the sixth-ranked quarterback in the in college football as an NFL prospect. I like him. Justin Herbert's got more physical ability, and he's they're probably similar. I think if Justin Herbert played for Auburn, he might be better than Jarrett Stidham. So we'll see what happens. I think Jarrett Stidham needs to sit for a year when he's drafted, and I'm not a huge believer, but I like him. Jake Browning is going to get a chance in the NFL. He's a seventh-ranked quarterback prospect, in my opinion, right now. He'll get a chance. Um, I just don't love him. He's just average. He's fine. Not a big fan. Now, Joe Burrow is the eighth best quarterback prospect in college football. That's probably not fair. That's probably not accurate. I'm sure there's other guys who are higher than him because they throw the ball better. But Joe Burrow mentally is ahead of most college quarterbacks. The problem is physically. He looks like Kellen Moore. His arm strength isn't there. I love Joe Burrow, the guy, the quarterback, the guy with poise, making good decisions, making great reads, making good decisions at the line of scrimmage. I just don't like Joe Burrow throwing the football, and that's kind of important in college. Now, there are three guys that will not make the, the rankings. That's Cole McDonald, Jake Frum, and JT Daniels. They're too young. I need to see more from these guys. I love Cole McDonald. The Patriots got to go after him in a couple of years. He's fantastic. He's a hidden gem, and next week I'm going to watch him a lot more. 
Chris Reynolds is a quarterback at Charlotte, University of Charlotte. He's a true freshman. Someone tipped me that I should look at him. I don't know. I guess he walked on. He looks fantastic. We'll see what happens. Chris Reynolds at Charlotte we'll talk about next week. That is how I see the quarterbacks working out right now in college football. Those are the best prospects after three weeks from an NFL top-down perspective. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. It's gone long. It is 9.52 at night. Holy crap, this has been a long episode. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back on Friday. A lot of stuff to talk about. That show's already done, prepared already, basically. Um, So thank you so much. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow. By telling your friends about the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. If you want cool guests, if you want the show on Twitch, if you want more content, help Strong Opinion Sports grow. Help this show grow by telling your friends about it. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. We'll be back on Friday. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of interesting topics. We'll talk about Josh Gordon more in depth. Thank you so much. But um bum bam we are done. Bye.